Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Guns Reboot Review, a podcast indexing stories of DC Comics' A Legion of Superheroes, specifically the run of Legion beginning in 1994, after the entire concept of a team of interplanetary youths inspiring the galaxy was reimagined and the history of the 30th century was rebooted from scratch. Many of the characters were similar, some were different, and longtime fans of the Legion were introduced to several brand new characters who became important parts of Legion history. Each episode of this occasional podcast subseries, I'll be recapping an issue of Legion of Superheroes and an issue of Legionnaires, as the story of the Legion occupied two monthly titles at this time, meaning Legion fans buying these titles off the rack back in 1995 got a bi-weekly dose of their favorite super future teens. There are a couple of annuals coming up soon in the chronology, and I haven't decided how I want to handle them yet. I'm thinking they each might get their own episode. We'll see. Not a whole lot of background to deliver before diving into this episode's content, though I did just want to briefly mention that this is the 50th anniversary installment of I'm the Gun. I'm the Gun started off as exclusively a blog, and more recently has evolved into into more of a podcast, though I'm by no means done writing. But if you count all the blog posts and all the episodes of Reboot Review and my other podcast thread, Shanna Showcase, devoted to Marvel's Shanna the She-Devil, plus a couple of other special episodes like a Green Lantern 75th anniversary special I did, and Last week's Halloween tribute to Dr. 13, the Ghostbreaker. If you add all those up, uh, this very episode is number 50. When I started on the gun, I wasn't sure how long it would go, but if you told me that a blog that started out with four posts devoted to DC's American World War I ace, Steve Savage, the Balloon Buster, if you told me that blog would see post number 50, I might have been a bit of a doubting Thomas. So I definitely appreciate the thousands and thousands of looks that I'm the Gun has gotten. I want to send out a special thanks to the guys at the Legion of Substitute Podcasters who asked me to join them a couple weeks ago to talk some Legion. Had a great time in the time bubble with Paul, Darren, and Scott. The uh, subs were the first podcast I remember following on a regular basis, so it is definitely a thrill to get to talk to some Legion with them. Actually, they dreamed about doing a crossover with them someday, uh, something we could call Blend of an Era. And there might be a few Legion fans out there that get that joke. Anyway, first up this time out is Legion of Superheroes number 67, cover dated April 1995. We're treated this time to a story called Insect Fear by writer by writers Tom's. McGraw and Pyre, along with Mark Wade. It's penciled by Chris Renaud, who's subbing for Lee Motor, inked by Ron Boyd. It's lettered by Bob Pinaha, colored by McCraw, and edited by Mike McAvaney and Casey Carlson. The cover is by Matt Haley and Tom Simmons, and it's, uh, it's a really nice, rare cover starring Apparition who looks like she's being threatened by giant insect legs. That's fitting because this time out the Legion faces its first repeat villain and we get a 
little taste of that villain at the, the very beginning of the story. Out in space, a science police scout ship is breached by the smaller attack ship of Tangleweb, the big space bug the Legion fought in their very first mission. Tangleweb killed Kid Quantum, the Legion's first casualty. And the big bug picks right up where he left off, spraying his sticky web into cocoons, trapping the crew of this science police ship. A little twist, though. A crew member yells that they have no cargo, but Tangleweb counters that he's not after cargo. We see Tangleweb sucking the brains out of one crew member, claiming that he can actually gain the knowledge of his victim. And it's this that is his objective. It's knowledge that will lead to power undreamed. In Legion headquarters on Earth, Leviathan reflects at the memorial statue of Kid Quantum. Cosmic Boy meets him there, reporting that Tangleweb has resurfaced. Now, Leviathan has a personal stake in this matter, as he was in charge of the, that first mission that got Kid Q killed. Cosmic Boy says he's going to call a Legion meeting, but doesn't think everyone on the team is going to like what he has to say. And he's right. Cosmic Boy announces that only half the team will head in pursuit of Tangleweb, claiming to have learned from their last encounter that a small, powerful team would have a greater shot at success in the small quarters of a spaceship in which they'll likely find Tangleweb. This outrages the excluded Legionnaires. Invisible Kid, Triad, and Saturn Girl are the most vocal. Invisible Kid kind of rightly points out that he was instrumental in the success of a couple of previous missions, notably their tussle with Mano and the debacle on Planet Hell, and each of these is covered a few episodes back. Triad storms out of the meeting, but then splits into her three selves and argues amongst herself whether Cosmic Boy made the right decision. This argument causes all three triads to head off into different directions to cool off. And we're going to learn an awful lot about Triad in these two issues. Cosmic Boy's away team sets off to confront Tangleweb, and this team is made up of Spark, Chameleon, Andromeda, Kinetics, Apparition, and Leviathan. Invisible Kid tries to sneak his way on, but Kaz catches him and boots him out of the ship. When they catch up to the disabled science police cruiser, Apparition is dispatched at the to check things out. Now this is easy for her. As a phantom, she can just kind of float through each cabin without the fear of being harmed. While she's in the ship, she discovers a device which will allow the Legion cruiser to track the energy discharge of Tangleweb's ship. On Earth, Invisible Kid bribes a science police mechanic to loan him a stealth cruiser which he intends to use to catch up to Cosmic Boy's team. You, know, you gotta give it to the kid. He's, he's determined. And this kind of brings to mind the fact that Invisible Kid, or Lyle, as his given name, Lyle's personality has been given more depth in the seven months this far of the reboot than in the ten years or so that he existed before. Unfortunately, the character, the original Invisible Kid, was killed off, so admittedly he didn't get the opportunity to grow that maybe some of the other Legionnaires got, but it's, it's remarkable the style of writing in the 90s as opposed to the 60s, it was just better equipped to lend characters personality traits that allowed them to stand out from one another in such a big group, you know, a, a true legion of superheroes. And a little aside, I was thinking about legionnaires that were killed in the line of duty, and 
Legion creative teams seem to take out a Legionnaire about every five years. I guess just to remind readers that it could be done. Now, Pharaoh Lad was the first Legionnaire casualty that was in the mid-60s. We had Poor Invisible Kid in the early 70s. Chemical King in the late 70s. Karate Kid in the early 80s. And Magnetic Kid in the, in the late 80s. From then on, the Legion deaths seemed to kind of come fast and furious throughout the five years later run and beyond, but kind of getting off topic here. So, um, The Legion cruiser catches up to Tangoweb's ship, but instead of running away, Tangoweb turns and surprises the Legion by confronting them, docking and breaching the cruiser just like it did on the Science Police ship. That big-ass bug bursts into the cabin and immediately spits Cosmic Boy into a cocoon, but not before Cosmic Boy can quickly blurt out a command to Andromeda to seal the hull with her heat vision. Spark next gets cocooned, and the others kind of bumble around, falling all over each other. Leviathan notices to himself that Tangoweb's speech sounds different this time. He sounds smarter, more intelligent. Andromeda panics, unable to bring herself to touch the creepy crawly, but... Leviathan snaps her out of it, shouting at her to blast the thing with her with her heat vision. Which she does, causing Tangoweb to bust out of the ship the way he came in, though he's got Kaz and Spark in tow. Andromeda reseals the hull, and Leviathan comes up with a plan. As long as the ship is vacuum tight, Andromeda can fly the depleted ship fast enough to catch up with Tangoweb. They follow the bug to a rocky world and disembark. They notice a skittering sound that Leviathan chalks up to settling soil, but the noise grows louder and a crack opens up in the ground from which a horde of tangleweb-like giant bugs crawls out of. Back on Earth, Triad Neutral, the version of her that wears a an orange and purple uniform, wanders the streets of Metropolis reflecting on her earlier outburst. Now, she maybe take this moment to say that Triad, a, a unified Triad with all three of her triplicates integrated, wears a uniform that is part purple, part orange. When she triplicates, one body is dressed in purple and white, and this Luornu distinguishes herself with a brash, kind of sassy personality. Luornu, who splits off and wears orange and white, is a bit more sensible and reserved, but the third body, called Triad Neutral, wears the orange and purple uniform, and her personality is, of course, a bit more balanced. Anyway, it's this triad that resigns herself to go back to headquarters and apologize to the team for storming out, but before she can do that, she's jumped by a trio of black-garbed meatheads, all sporting a white triangle emblem on their tight black bodysuits. Triad fights back, but the, the goons are just too much with each blow, we see another of Triad's bodies back at HQ reacting. Each triplicate feels the other's pain. The thugs spout some specious slurs and as they beat Triad, but then they bolt, leaving Lornu sprawled on the sidewalk with a sign that reads, Aliens, go home. And this is continued in Legionnaires number 24, which we'll talk about in a second. So the White Triangle subplot continues to simmer here. It actually starts boiling over with a direct attack on a Legionnaire. It's nice to see the Legion have the opportunity to confront Tangleweb as well, getting the chance perhaps to avenge Kid Quantum's murder. 
This was early in guest penciler Chris Renaud's career, and he doesn't at this point seem to have the flair of Lee Motor, who's, who's missed here. Motor was so good at lending a certain grace to the Legionnaires that it's missing, though regular Inker Ron Boy does lend the overall look of the book a certain consistency. Alright, let's tackle Legionnaires number 24. Inside is a story called Me, Myself, and I, which functions as kind of a triad spotlight issue. This story is written by Tom Pyre and Tom McCraw, penciled by Jeff Moy, inked by Tom Simmons and W.C. Karani, who inked Jeff Moy on the cover. Issues lettered by Pat Brousseau, colored by McCraw, and edited once again by McAvinney and Carlson. The issue opens with the briefest of recaps detailing the beating triad took, the hands of the white triangle thugs. Three of her teammates, Saturn Girl, XS, and Violet, along with Triad Purple, search the city streets for the attackers, but all they find is an abandoned hideout. Hideout might be the wrong word, as it's completely covered in anti-alien graffiti. Inside, the girls find hate propaganda printed on, of all things, paper, which XS points out is such a waste as paper is now, in the 30th century, so rare. Triad Purple catches Violet staring at the white triangle symbol on the wall, and Violet recalls seeing the emblem on a couple of thugs that attacked an alien outside the club some Legion ladies were trying to get into, and this was the last issue of Legionnaires, and it was also covered in the last reboot review. Andromeda had apparently dealt with the specious, but was very vague back then about their exact fate. This had been let slide back then due to some commotion, but now Violet's suspicions are a bit raised. In hospital, Triad's neutral's battered body is under the care of, for some reason, Brainiac 5, who is conveniently an expert in medicine, as well as all other branches of science. Now, it does seem that Triad's cargite physiology is giving him a bit of a problem, though. Brainiac and another doctor want to be sure any treatment given to triad the comatose triad neutral won't adversely affect her other healthy bodies brainiac asks the present triad orange whether she's aware if the death of one body would kill all triplicates in the in a typical cargite but brainy comments that triad doesn't really seem like a typical cargite which causes triad flash back to her earliest days she is not typical as she is one of the very few cargites who whose triplicates all possess a different personality. This caused her to be seen as something of a freak, and has put a lot of pressure on her family, so much so that her father walked out, her mother sank into alcoholism, and it's implied that she may have taken her own life. Throughout her youth, Triad, or Luornu, was championed by her grandmother, who Luornu learns on her granny's deathbed suffered from the same personality disorder. On card, this is like a multiple personality disorder. And the sequence actually gives quite a bit of insight into the philosophy and psychological makeup of Cargites. At Luornu's mother's gravesite and over the deathbed of her grandmother, we see an icon panel image of Valor, a venerated mythic being to which the Cargites are especially devoted. 
and Valor would be especially familiar to longtime Legion fans as a member of the team in a former life. And he's yet to make an, a, a true appearance in the reboot, so it was interesting to see his image pop up in the Cargite's religious practices. At the same time, Lornu's granny dispels a huge myth in the Cargite belief system. The school children are told that the Cargites developed the ability to split in three to combat large ancient monsters, but Granny claims there's no physical need to split. There never was. It's all psychological. Cargites are lucky to be blessed with the ability to split and get three different perspectives on the world and merge those together and blend, blend those observations, those ideas, into a well-rounded, cohesive mentality. And Granny insists that this, you know, the way she and her granddaughter behave, or are, is the natural state of the Cargite, not the uniform, stagnant splitting of a person into three carbon copies, which, in her argument, would fail to learn about the world and, and about themselves. This speech inspires Lornu to, to be herself, to thrive as herself. Triad Purple, back in the present, bursts into the hospital seeking out her battered self in a humorous kind of kind of weird moment. Triad yells to a nurse that she has to see Lornu Durgo now. The nurse asks if she's a relative, and she says, no, she's her. <laughs> you know, only, this would only happen for the Cargite. Purple has arrived as uh, Brainiac's best idea for Triad's recovery is that for the, for the trio to reintegrate. As Brainiac makes the preparations, Triad's purple and orange relate to Saturn Girl and the other Legionnaires more of her background. Her disorder ostracized her, and without any role model or even any legal guardian, Lorna was committed to a to state psychiatric care. This didn't last long. She eventually broke out and lived basically as a runaway until she was taken in by R.J. Brand. At the hospital, Brand himself shows up and paces as he waits for the outcome of Brainiac's plan. He's waiting with his assistant, Marla Latham, and also with Excess, Saturn Girl, and Violet. And hours pass, and a seemingly disinterested Brainiac finally emerges from the operating room, I guess, and he actually has to be asked how things went. He offhandedly claims the procedure was a success, and then just continues on his way. He's really got to work on that bedside manner. The group kind of scratches their heads at Brainy, Brainy's uh, behavior, though they're relieved that their friend will apparently make it. In the last panel, Brand vows to find those responsible for Triad's condition, and a close-up of Violet and her curious, knowing expression makes me think she's thinking back to their teammate Andromeda and her possible role in this mess. And really nice artwork from Moy and Karani on that, that look of violets. And this whole white triangle subplot, it's gonna, gonna continue to simmer here. More pieces sort of falling into place. And that's the end of the issue. The, the Way team and their dealings with Tangleweb will be picked up in the, uh, in the next issue of Legion of Superheroes, and that means I'll be recapping the continuation of that adventure next episode. I think that'll do it for this one. If you want to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear what you think about the Legion of any era. Of course, you can email me at imthegun at gmail.com. I-M-T-H-E-G-U-N 
at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on this episode on the blog, iamthegun.blogspot.com. I'll be putting up some panels and pages from these issues there. I tweet as at Mark Sweeney Jr. I tumble as Messenger Attack. Previous episodes of I'm the Gun, including Reboot Review and the occasional Shanna Showcase indexing the solo adventures of Marvel Comics' Shanna the She-Devil, and a few other things along the way. All episodes of that are on iTunes. There's a link to that on the blog. Or just search iTunes for I'm the Gun, Reboot Review, or Shanna Showcase. Alright, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another Reboot Review, so until then... LOL, live on Legion.